Hello and welcome to Adam and Eve on CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton and around the world on CJSR.com. My name is Rose Eva Forks Jenkins. And my name is Wen Chan. And we'll be your hosts for today's episode of Adam and Eve. Thanks for tuning in. Adam and Eve is Edmonton's only feminist news radio show. We are adamant on highlighting, discussing, and engaging with issues that affect women across Edmonton and around the world. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the incredible, the wonderful, and the one and only, Toni Morrison. First up, we'll introduce a bit about the late Toni Morrison's work and talk about why she's such an important feminist icon. Afterwards, we're featuring a panel that took place at the Garneau Theatre on September 1st, after a screening of the documentary entitled The Pieces I Am. We're so excited to go on this journey through the incredible work of Toni Morrison with you. So, first up, here's what we learned about Toni Morrison from Wikipedia. So, Toni Morrison was actually born as Chloe Anthony Wolford Morrison, and she was born in February 18th, 1931. And she was an American novelist, essayist, editor, teacher, and professor at Princeton University. Her first novel, The Bluest Eye, was published in 1970. So, Toni Morrison was born and raised in Lorain, Ohio. She then went to graduate school at Cornell University, and she taught English at Howard University. She was married and had two children, and then was divorced in 1964. And in the late 1960s, she became the first black female editor in fiction. In 1993, Toni Morrison was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. And on May 12th, President Barack Obama presented Toni Morrison with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So, unfortunately, earlier this year, uh, Toni Morrison died on August 5th from complications of pneumonia. And she was 88 years old. Thanks so much for sharing that info, Roseva. Next up, I'm going to tell you a bit more about the film, The Pieces I Am, that was screened at the Metro Cinema. Timothy Greenfeld Sanders directed the documentary Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am, premiered at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. People featured in the film included Toni Morrison, herself, Angela Davis, Oprah Winfrey, among others. The film is described as an artful and intimate meditation on the legendary storyteller Toni Morrison. It examines her life, her works, and the powerful it examines her life, her works, and the powerful themes she has confronted throughout her literary career. So, the screening of The Pieces I Am took place on September 1st at Metro Cinema in the Garneau Theatre, and I was fortunate enough to attend the screening, and I really enjoyed the film. So, full disclosure, I have not read a great deal of Toni Morrison's work, but I've always wanted to know more. So I really appreciated how the film really dove deep into the cultural impact that Toni Morrison had. And seeing interviews with Toni Morrison really made me appreciate what a grounded, amazing, and also hilarious person she is. And it really made me appreciate how hard it would be for Toni Morrison to write such brilliant work while also supporting two children of her own and also having a full-time job. 
Her passion and dedication to capturing the black experience in America while standing in the face of a lot of white supremacy was so inspiring. I also really appreciated having such a brilliant panel of women to talk about Toni Morrison's work after the screening. The panel we're going to hear from was hosted by Dr. Shama Ringwala, who is a lecturer in Women's and Gender Studies at U of A. The other participants in the panel were Professor Shirley Ann Tate from the Department of Sociology at U of A, Dr. Helen Frost, who has a PhD in English, and Jumoke Verissimo, who is a poet, novelist, and PhD student in English at the U of A. Let's take a listen. I'm just gonna introduce myself. I'm Shama Rangwala. I am a lecturer. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a lecturer at the, at the U of A in, in Women's and Gender Studies. I'm so excited to have this awesome panel. So on the left we have Jumoke Verissimo, who is a celebrated poet and novelist. Um, her novel is coming out next year. It's already been reviewed by The Guardian, and also a PhD candidate uh, in the English department at U of A. We have Dr. Helen Frost, who is a brilliant uh, literary theorist. She does ethic theory and, and gets embarrassed when people praise her. Uh, and we also have Dr. Shirley Ann Tate, um, who's just joining us in Edmonton as a Canada Research Chair in the Department of Sociology. So really excited about this group of people. I'm going to kind of, uh, you know, sit back and uh, let everybody talk here. So I guess we'll just start with uh, Jumoke and your thoughts about Toni Morrison for the film. Hello, everyone. I could start with language, which actually has been explored. Um, for me, Toni Morrison's um, use of language is what struck me when I started to read a book. And um, it wasn't simply because of the way she you know, evokes this poetic language. It was the fact that she could invent what, what had been taken from the African-American community. Um, one thing that slavery did was that it ensured there was an absence. And that absence was that it took away language. I'm Yoruba. And one of the things we believe is that language is knowledge, you know, because it, it takes, um, it gives a lot of, there's a lot of culture, culture in language. And when you speak a language or when you write a new language, you're actually communicating knowledge, you know. And reading Tom Morrison's books, I could always see this confrontation with the, this absence, this thing that has been taken away from the African-American community. And our constant, um, which, in, which in the movie she tried to, she actually exp explained that a, a lot. Um, she, she, she tried to emphasize that you took away my language, but you didn't take away my voice. And I would invent something, I would imagine something. And for me as a writer, it offers me, it offers me an opportunity to always engage imagination to invent and reinvent. And to always know that there really is no absence. And nothing is really taken, you know? Um, so I'll give Ellen an opportunity to talk. <laughs> 
I'm a little bit shyer <laughs> than Jamoke, so I'm gonna read something I wrote really when I was thinking about what does a white South African have to say <laughs> about Toni Morrison? And I thought I'd talk a little bit about what it was like to teach her work uh, in South Africa. So I started teaching and thinking about Toni Morrison's work in earnest where, when I started teaching in the early 2000s at the University of the Witwatersrand, which is where in South Africa where I did uh, my undergrad and my grad some of my graduate degree. And the important thing to know about apartheid is that it was a system that was inherently spatialized, right? Where folks could live, where they could work, where they could play, where they could, you know, drink from a water fountain was built into the structure of the built environment and the city. So teaching in a context where students had grown up with little direct memory of apartheid, but were still living in spaces that were defined by its laws and history, this opening scene of Sula allowed for meaningful discussions of history, how histories of violence live on in the material world. And in the context I'm from, that's really about the kind the length of bus ride you might take to get to the university, where you get to live, where your parents have lived. So it's this very material felt, materially felt thing, but at the same time, not really uh, part of the public discourse, at least in the early 2000s. But when we think of Toni Morrison's work, we often think of Beloved as a book that's about memory, right? About re-memory, about the reconstruction of uh, embodied memory. But what Sula does, and what this opening moment in Sula does, is think about how gestures of ways of being um, are spatialized and also tell a story of segregation. So there's this moment in the same uh, first paragraph where she talks about this um, embodied and material gestures of community. So in the novel, Black People Living in the Bottom, and here I quote, would laugh and rub their knee, and it would be easy for the valley man to hear the laughter and not notice the adult pain that rested somewhere under their eyelids, somewhere under their head rags, the soft felt hats, somewhere in the palm of their hand, somewhere behind the frayed lapels, somewhere in the sinews curve. And so this embodied understanding of memory, as well as the spatialized history of memory, provide a very powerful way to talk to students about how we remember lost histories or histories that are narrated through our, our material space. And I think um, teaching at that time, that's what it really afforded us. And even though the books weren't necessarily written for us as audiences, right? They provided this opportunity to think about how we memorialize and think about the past, but also how it lives on in our bodies. Um, so, and what I really loved about the film, which speaks to this, is this, that narrative of people going to Mexico and recognizing a similar kind of history, but also recognizing dissonance, that this isn't necessarily our history. I don't really feel I should say anything, because I think the movie was just so powerful in a way, and to, to like sit in the audience and be taught by Toni Morrison after reading her work, for me, was really a very moving experience. Um, I was told to be very brief and just to say something, 
about um, the importance of her work for me. I think part of the reason why I identify with her work so much is because I myself am Jamaican, if you don't know that. So I see myself very much as a, as a descendant of slaves. So when I, when I read her work, I relate to it on that level. And in a similar way, I was feeling quite emotional seeing some of those pictures of enslavement within the United States. So there's this kind of, I suppose, diasporic connection that I share with her, even though I'm not from the United States myself. But from her work itself, I think, for me, some of the things that I've taken away from Toni Morrison have been to do with um, how to be an activist through the work you do, what black feminism can mean, and that it's not about replacing one domination with another. You know, you, you shouldn't replace like white domination with black domination. And she showed that very clearly, I think, when she was talking about her experience at Howard University with the skin shade hierarchies in that university among black people themselves, which I think is still um, an issue for us as well, something I myself work about. And um, I think for me as well, her work's always taught me about looking, how to look at domination, really, I think, and to, to not be too terrified to say, hey, something's wrong here, that's racism. She taught me that very clearly, I think, um, in her work. So for me, it's about the fact that she's always been somebody who's challenged. And I try to kind of mirror that as well. I hope I kind of mirror that in my own work and my own kind of politics. Um, and what she said there um, as well, I think, is really important for us to remember about racism being a neurosis. Um, and that white people also have a race, everyone has a race, because I think those are things that we tend to forget. You know, the only people with race are people of color and black people, say. Uh, people have been racially other, they're the only ones with race, white people don't have any race. But, um, so we need to get past that, I think. And we also need to think about what racism is and the fact that it impacts us all, all, including the dominant. And that's what she said very clearly in the film when she says racism is a neurosis. One of the things that I thought was really great about the film is how funny she is and that there's this sense that um, the the power of humor that has an analysis of power was demonstrated so well here because even just as a collective experience, like when we were laughing or who was laughing or who immediately was like, this is very funny because of the object of the humor I thought was, was, was really great, especially when you know, we're thinking about um, activism and thinking about practice and how humor is, is mobilized in so many of these cases. So I thought that was something that uh, the film showed really, really well. I think, so part of the work that I do is thinking about memory and emotion and how those things interact with one another. And one of the pieces that I really loved and really struck me as speaking to the kind of work that she's done across her body of work was when she spoke about the importance of not necessarily being in the streets, but making sure those narratives and those voices were documented. And that we don't always have the energy to be 
in the street as activists, but those histories carry on. And when I was reading you know, her interviews ahead of this talk, I, I feel like that sentiment of some histories haven't been told and her work providing a lens through which to read those histories, but also her work as an editor, you know, archiving those histories, I think speaks to her preoccupation with memory and speaks to her preoccupation with those histories that were lost that Jamalkia spoke about so uh, powerfully in her little introduction. Um, I could also add, talking about Istria, one thing that struck me was, I think there was something mentioned about how she didn't just know the history, she understood it. And um, I, I don't want to say it again that, of course she does that with language, but understanding history is not just about uh, presenting it as it is. It is about helping people to say something they never find the words for. And being able to, ask, to, to f get into the, that part of their lives, you know, um, perhaps I could say the marginal, you know, it's out there, but there's also a margin in the marginalized um, person, you know, and that space, that in-betweenness, is, which is always evident in history, is what Toni Morrison captures in her books. And for me, I think for a most powerful book for me is The, the Bluest Eyes. And it's not just because I'm interested in trauma, but also because of the way she evokes, you know, just a child's desire and turns it into a, something that even the reader has to engage with and question what we've been told, what we've heard, what we've seen, what, what we've read, you know? We, it, it reaffirms how the words of others remake us, you know? And I, I think it's a very powerful book. Incidentally, it's also a first, you know? And I, reading uh, um, things about her and all of that and the articles, I, I think I encountered where she was at that time struggling with family, struggling with, um, you know, a life and all of that. And I saw the pain that she, the challenges of the moment, you know, recreated in the life of our characters. So she puts those characters, she puts herself in the place of those characters and say, and she tells them, I want to be you. And I, 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 I think that's quite powerful, you know. There's one of my, which is all over the place now, one of her favorite, um, the quotes from the Nobel Prize, you know, she says something about, we die, that may be the meaning of, a, of our lives, but we do language, that may be the measure of, 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 um, of our lives. I, I ask myself, what does it mean to do language, you know? What she does is the performance. She doesn't just present language to us as something that we read, we speak, but she tells us that language is active. Language is a performance. It is what we do. And I think being able to engage history from that perspective is powerful. 
Well, I think that this idea of space and time is interesting too with the canon because like I said in my introduction, you know, I read The Bluest Eye when I was a teenager. I, I wanted blue eyes when I was a teenager because I was surrounded by, you know, white people growing up and um, I didn't think of it in such an explicit way until I encountered this book and, you know, reading the canon, reading you know, whatever my teachers give me, right, or I find at the library, this disruption here in a different kind of temporality, a different kind of space, even her at the Nobel Prize is like, you know, she's taking up that space. It's like a, she wants to, you know, wear a nice dress. She likes partying. It's like very joyful. And it's about like claiming a kind of space that it's not just like dour and sad and all of that all the time, but it's making something visible about, you know, joy and resilience as well. So. But that was a good part of the movie too. Yeah. Just kind of building on what you said, I think that there's a one moment in the movie where someone said something like, you know, she's concerned with pedestrian lives. And on the one hand, I totally agree. I think she's deeply concerned with the quotidian and the magic um, and the trauma and the loss and telling the telling history through, you know, uh, ordinary lives, but those lives are elevated so far in her books that when, you know, that language of pedestrian was used, it's like, no one in her books is ever pedestrian. <laughs> Find me a Toni Morrison character that's pedestrian. Um, but I think, I think that builds on what you're saying there, which is, these are joyful characters. Some, sometimes they're characters who can laugh at, sometimes, incredibly difficult moments and situations, but in focusing on the richness of individual lives in ways that there hadn't been a lot of opportunities for, and she often speaks about, say, reading Chinyu Achebe, reading African writers, and saying, where is that for us? Where they're using and creating a language, even if it is in English, that's very specific. Um, and I think that's something that her books do so meaningfully, is you know, recreate a language and value the quotidian in ways that elevate it uh, in really in a way that's significant specifically for its context, I think. Um, I think for me, um, the thing that's always been very important about Toni Morrison, and she said it herself, is she wasn't writing for white people. You know, that wasn't her audience. Her gaze wasn't on whiteness. Her gaze wasn't on whiteness for recognition of her art. And as you see, she got a lot of very negative comment, didn't she? Like, she's not a proper writer. You know, one day she might mature into a writer, blah, 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 blah. So, um, so she knew full well what the reception of her work might be from some quarters, but that didn't stop her from writing what she knew she had to write. So for me, she's... She's just one of these kind of amazing black feminists, you know, there at the forefront. But also, what I really admire about her was the fact that um, she didn't see her success as only hers. You know, you saw what she did um, creating kind of a pipeline for writers, for other black writers, through her work as an editor. For me, that's something that's really very important about black feminist activism, particularly, you know, as she said, you don't have to be on the streets, as you said before, but there are things that we need to do and continue to do because we have to change 
the kind of knowledge production with which we're surrounded, which continues to be white, mostly. Yeah, and just in relation to kind of both of those comments, as teachers of literature, we tell our students there are certain kinds of readings that we do, or this is the genre, this is the kind of expectations of this. And when you teach Toni Morrison, it's all about just throw that out the window. We need to like do a different kind of reading. And she really, she really foregrounds that. I guess we can also add that um, there, there's also that's you know talking about feminism. She and being a very powerful one at that, there's this empowerment, you know, that she gives to younger writers. You know, she 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 tells without using her books, she tells the young female writer that history is in your hands. You are a storyteller. You know, and I I find the way she. Our characters, you know, portray this this message quite quite interesting, and it's all, all, all it's something that I I I, um, I put at the back of my mind when I'm also writing that we I'm in a world where I have the power to change things, and. The world may not like it, but it's, it's something that someone as powerful as Toni Morrison has engaged with. And she fought her battles, but those who had hears, they heard the message. And constantly having to deal with that makes me as a writer more attentive. It makes me want to listen, not just want to um, beyond wanting to know, know, I want to understand. I want to enter into the souls like Toni Morrison, because her characters are not just she's not just telling stories. She's searing hearts, you know, and souls. And that for that that for me is a legacy. And that's perhaps why when she died. It was just like, it, I, felt she, I felt that she was still somewhere, you know, just away probably. There's still that feeling that Toni Morrison is not really dead. Because her legacy is quite, it's, it's a burden. You know, it's not, it's, she hasn't just left her books. She has ensured that her legacy is, is given to every black female writer, wherever you are whoever you are, if you've encountered Toni Morrison, she lives in you. But thank you so much for coming to this. We've come to the end of this week's episode of Adam and Eve, Edmonton's only feminist news program. We produce this week's show in the studios of CGSR 88.5 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, on Treaty 6 territory. We are grateful to be in Amiskwichi Wiskaigan, the traditional territory of the diverse indigenous peoples of this land, including the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota, Dene, Ojibwe, Soto, Anishinaabe, Inuit, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community. 
Thank you very much today to all the panelists at the Toni Morrison screening, including Dr. Shama Ringwala, Shirley Ann Tate, Dr. Helen Frost, and Jamoke Verissimo. Thank you as well to the fine folks at Metro Cinema that facilitated the recording. Adamant Eve is a spoken word project of CJSR 88.5 in Edmonton, Alberta, and our journalism is funded by you, the listeners. For more information on our program and to send us any feedback, please contact us on our Facebook page under Adamant Eve or tweet at us at Adamant Eve, all one word. We're always looking for more volunteers to help out, so if you're interested in learning any aspect of radio production, just get in touch. Thank you very much for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Wen Chan and Rose Eva Forks Jenkins. Have an adamant evening. <laughs>